we will be uh, looking at the, the book of Hosea uh, today. And uh, I think we should uh, pray first, and then I will begin to read the scriptural passage. So let us pray. Holy Father, we uh, come humbly before you this day in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that uh, you would give uh, us grace both to be able to uh, proclaim this word and to be able to receive this word. Uh, and because of it, we might, might make progress in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and be able to leave from here with a greater commitment to serve you uh, with, uh, with, a greater, with deeper, deeper understanding of you, but also uh, a depth uh, commitment uh, to, uh, to bring to you glory in the world. Yeah, now, God, our prayers, in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. All right, so we, uh, uh, I have uh, two passages there, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 13, and then um, also Hosea, uh, which is our main text, Hosea chapter 1, 1 through 11. So let's uh, start with Hosea chapter 1, 1 through 11. And uh, I will be uh, essentially using the uh, New English Standard Version. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of Hordam, and have children of Hordam. For the land commits great Hordam by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gorman, the daughter of Deplim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu with the blood, <coughs> the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Uh, and she conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by boar, by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When she had waned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, for they are not my people, and I am not their God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together 
and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And then we go to the New Testament, and uh, um, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verse 1 through 13. It is related, and as we go through the text, I hope you, by the time it is over, you'll be able to see that, how related it is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I delivered up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. For As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now in faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Uh, so we now go to the, uh, the scripture, the, the, the sermon, rather. And uh, I've entitled this uh, A Heart Calling. And I do not want to, of course, uh, explain it right now. But as we develop the text, you will see why it is a heart calling in terms of a somewhat of an introduction, or rather introduction, not somewhat of an introduction, I, I did preach this sermon uh, maybe 10 years or so ago, uh, and uh, the older people in the congregation, I think, might remember it, and those who are much younger, this is all new to them. So what happened is that uh, I never got through the series of this, the series of Hosea, so when I was asked again by the session to look into the possibility of preaching again, I, you've, as you've been here, you've seen I've preached to some other books, not preached through it, but various uh, chapters uh, in the uh, scripture text. But I decided perhaps it might be good to revisit um, the book of Hosea, which uh, has been a very uh, good book for me. So, uh, so uh, it's a good idea because many of you here would not know this text. Uh, that is, would not know the sermon that I preached years ago. This, for me, uh, the book of Hosea, is a wonderful text of Scripture. Of course, uh, all of Scripture is wonderful, but 
as I hope you will see, this one stands out in a unique portrayal. And this is one of the reasons why we read read, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, because it stands out, this one, this text, as a unique portrayal of the mysterious and unfathomable depth of the love of God. So I hope, by God's grace, I can uh, succeed in communicating this to you, for you to see that the love of God is like an abyss, uh, which, is, which should be acceptable because that is the nature of God himself. So the, the idea here is that it's not, it's not uh, only an attribute of God, the way the theologians uh, say that, it's, uh, it's who God is. Is. And if you think of uh, all of the extraordinary mystery or unknown things that we don't know about God and how, how vast his person is, I'm saying that what this text reveals about the love of God runs as deep as anything we can possibly know about the love of God. So... The love of God, even though we talk of it often, it is mysterious and unfathomable, and it is, it is very, very deep. So Hosea is one of the books of the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, it is one of the books of the minor prophets. Indeed, Hosea is uh, the way the commentators put it, and I think they're quite right. When you read it yourself, you see it, the most comprehensive of the minor prophets. Uh, all the other ones, and the minor prophets would be uh, books like Amos and uh, uh, Nehemiah and those kinds of things like that. Um, uh, some of the other Malachi, etc., would be uh, the minor prophets. And when they say here, when we say that Hosea is a minor prophet, uh, we mean merely mean that uh, his literary production was shorter than the major prophets. So it doesn't mean minor, some sort of a lesser idea, but merely what he wrote was shorter than the, uh, than the uh, major prophets. And the major prophets would be uh, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, who wrote so much more than, uh, than uh, Hosea and the minor prophets. So uh, he did not... Uh, Hosea did not write as much as Jeremiah. The book of Hosea is named after its author, whose names mean salvation or helper. Hosea is one of the four great Hebrew prophets of the uh, 8th century BC. The other three prophets being Amos, and Amos is one of the minor, Amos, Isaiah, and Micah. Micah would be another minor one. We know from the Old Testament text that Hosea, and I keep saying this because it's important to understand it, Hosea, the holy prophet, was the son of Beri, and that he was called to his prophetic ministry during the reign of Jeroboam uh, II. Uh, There was a Jeroboam in the beginning of the history when uh, the northern kingdom broke away from the house of David there was a Jeroboam then, and so this one is what we they call the second Jeroboam of Israel in the north. And concurrently, the reigns of four successive kings of Judah in the south, 
as we call the name as we read the text. Um, this fax puts us around 783 to 753 BC. So Hosea may have had at least 30 years of ministry. And some sources have said, some of the, the scholars and the commentators have said that it was actually more time, more than 30 years of ministry. This is what uh, our own John Calvin says here of this long, sustained effort of the prophet. He says here, how great and indomitable were the fortitude and constancy with which he was endowed by the Holy Spirit. His witness against apostasy, and uh, that's the close of the court. Uh, so we'll, let me make sure we understand that. This is what Calvin said. How great and indomitable were the fortitude and constancy with which, speaking of the prophet, he was endowed by the Holy Spirit. And then the court is close. And I come through and say, his was a witness against apostasy and corruption, preaching both the love and the judgment of God. The holiness of God's love necessitated that Israel's unfaithfulness and apostasy be punished. Hosea, like Jeremiah, was a remarkably sensitive man. So almost what you read about Jeremiah as the weeping prophet, Hosea was as sensitive as that, with a depth of feeling. His writings reveal, so we don't, of course, we don't know much about his life, but his writings reveal the man with a deep inner life. So we get that, it's almost like I, uh, one Chinese scholar said that uh, uh, the text, I don't have the exact quotation, but he felt that a text can reveal a whole lot about the author. And so we do not know the details of his life, but from his writings, we know that he had a deep inner life. Hosea has the unique distinction of being uh, the only one of the literary prophets to have grown up in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, a little bit about the northern kingdom uh, represented, really, ten rebellious tribes of Israel, in case you didn't know that. And the rebelliousness, uh, they were rebellious to the great house of David, but they were also, because they were rebellious to the great house of David, and the great house of David had their special blessing and mark of God, they were rebellious and apostate from God himself. These are the kinds of people that Hosea is here primarily addressing. So the prophecy is oriented really toward them. Though, of course, as we go through it, you will see he will make reference to Judah and whatnot in the south. But for the most part, uh, this he's focused on the northern kingdom. And so we have a bit of a chapter outline here. You see Hosea's prophetic calling, verses 1 to, th- uh, one to 3. And then uh, Hosea's and Gomer's children, verses 4 to 9. The prophecy of restoration, verses 10 to 11, and then we'll do, uh, there will be some applications and comments. Uh, this sermon, though, this sermon here that we are preaching deals only with Hosea's prophetic calling and some applications and comments. So they, what I've just given you with what we'll develop 
over the next several months. But this one deals only with his prophetic calling and some applications. In this study, I have mostly used commentaries, used the commentaries of James Montgomery Boyce. Uh, Boyce uh, was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, and he did speak here uh, years ago, uh, maybe more than 10 years ago, um, and uh, he's now deceased. I did, uh, when I was growing up, I said growing up. I grew up in Liberia, but I almost said when I was growing up in Boston, which I, I probably did because I was a young man when I came to the United States. I was about uh, 18 going to 19, and now I'm 61 years old. So in Boston, when I was a young man, I did hear on radio the sermon by uh, James Montgomery Boyce, and I was very, very moved by that and thought to myself, that uh, if I had the opportunity to preach on this book, and if I had the opportunity, I would uh, write a commentary on this book. It moved me so much. Uh, <clears throat> Kyle and Dillich, uh, the, uh, they are late 19th century uh, commentators, scholars. You might say, why are we using late 19th century commentators in a 21st century sermon? Well, it's because these are extraordinary guys. They are really very good at what they do, and I'll encourage you, if you can, to read their commentaries also. Uh, it's timeless in some respect. It captures a whole lot about the richness of the scriptural text. So we go now to uh, Hosea chapter, uh, rather go now to uh, uh, the first point of our outline, Hosea's uh, prophetic calling, verses 1 to 3. Verse 1, verse 1 deals with the time of Hosea's calling. Uh, the way Dr. Boyce uh, said it, uh, he, what I have here is Dr. Montgomery Boyce said that to best understand Hosea's times, we must reference Dickens' literary characterization of 19, 18th century Europe. When Dickens wrote that it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And so if you do a little bit historical background, you will see that the reign of Jeroboam was successful. God bless him. There was a whole lot of territory that was taken back, and the state at that time was prosperous. Unfortunately, um, Jeroboam was merely into politics and thought only that the politics work, and so that was why he was so successful. Um, the, the point here, though, uh, is that, that Hosea's time were marked by much material prosperity, while at the same time being a time of great moral and spiritual decline and decadence. Uh, sort of uh, much like our own time, much like the times we live in considerable pros uh, 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 prosperity. And I'm not talking about necessarily, you might say, well, we have inflation right now. I'm saying that the United States and the Western world uh, are very rich places. I'm reading a book right now called Weird, and he is dealing with the uniqueness of the West, and he shows uh, their prosperity and blessing. And so at the same time, it has taken that blessing for granted and become rather spiritually decadent 
spiritually declining. So, but this was the time when God called his man. God called his man just during that time. God tend to focus in on those kinds of, uh, those kinds of, uh, during those bad times, those struggling times, those difficult times to understand. That is when God would call his man to do his work for him. And then going on to verses uh, 2 and 3, God said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And the holy prophet obeyed God. The scripture says, He went and took Goma, the daughter of Diplim, and she conceived and bore him a son, the whore who became the wife of the holy prophet is Goma, the daughter of Diplim. Saint Jerome, the great Saint Jerome, has described Goma as a perfect daughter of pleasure. A perfect daughter of pleasure. There is a great debate. Uh, some say a perennial debate concerning the peculiar marriage of the prophet. It's a peculiar marriage of the prophet. Hosea is a holy man of God. Goma. Goma is a prostitute. God is absolutely holy and righteous. Some have reasoned that a holy and righteous God could never so command his faithful servant to marry a woman of ill repute. Therefore, what is here said of the holy prophet's marriage must be an allegory, a vision, a dream. Indeed, our own, the great theologian John Calvin, is amongst those advancing this view of this text of Holy Scripture. This view, indeed, is not unreasonable. God is absolutely holy. To suggest to his holy prophet to go and marry a woman of ill repute, a prostitute, is stunning to us. Can't comprehend it. So others have said uh, that the story is real. What happened to this prophet is, in fact, a historical reality. It's real and not allegorical. But that this is not the beginning of Goma. I'm not sure. This is what she became. Still others maintain that she must not have been a common prostitute, but a temple prostitute. You can see the problem with that argument as though there is any discernible moral difference between a high-class call girl and a street hustler. A harlot is a harlot is a harlot. A great moral bridge has, has been crossed in any form of harlotry. This marriage of the holy prophet Hosea actually happened. It was a, a real historical event. It is actually important that it be a reality. The commentators have noted that uh, we must understand this text of Hosea's marriage literally for the following reasons. 
What is morally and religiously objectionable in actual practice is not more defensible as a vision or a dream. And you should read St. Augustine's Confession to appreciate what has been said. He did not like that he still had bad dreams, immoral dreams. And for him, the triumph was to even go beyond that. So even if it was a vision of a dream, what is religiously objectionable, morally objectionable, remains so. The second point is that the prophet gives no indication that this is a vision and not a fact in his own personal uh, real-life experience. So he doesn't, he doesn't tell us. Uh, Hosea, I mean, uh, yes, uh, 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 not Hosea, but Ezekiel tells us. He went to sleep and he had a dream. Uh, Daniel also tells us this prophet does not do that. Then the, uh, the name of Gorman's daughter, the name of Gorman, daughter of Diplium, yields no symbolic significance. It doesn't tell us anything except for the fact that it's real. He was just recording and something that actually happened in his life. That he married Goma, the daughter of Diplin, who was a prostitute. The prophets were accustomed to name, giving symbolic names to real children. So it's not a part of a peculiar allegory either that he named his children to reflect the uh, negative fruit of this, this marriage. Uh, it, this is what Isaiah did and other prophets did as a symbol uh, to, uh, to Israel, witness to Israel. It would be strange for Hosea to tell such a story of his wife if it was not true, if it was false, or if he were unmarried about himself. So all of these things says that this, uh, this here is real. So what do we have here? We have a real historical event. It is a real-life pageant, a mystery play, an elaborate drama, an enacted parable. So when we say enacted parable, and Jesus tells the parable, the parable uh, is sort of a, uh, a story that uh, has truth in it, but may not have actually occurred in reality. What's going on here, the parable here, is the life of this holy prophet. That is the parable. So it's an enacted parable. He's actually living it out. Hosea's life is a parable, a symbol of a most profound and great reality. A most profound and great reality. And so I'm going to read a long quote here from Dr. Boyce, and I'm going to paraphrase him here. Dr. Boyce, I'm paraphrasing Dr. James Montgomery Boyce here. Uh, we could, how, to, uh, how we could understand the prophet's marriage like this. And this is the paraphrase, how we could understand the, the prophet's marriage like this. God said, Hosea, I want you to marry an unfaithful woman who is going to prove unfaithful to you, but whom you are nevertheless going to be faithful. You will love her, but she will disgrace your love. 
I'm asking you to do this because you are to present a pageant to Israel by your marriage. It is going to be symbolic, an object lesson. You are going to play the part of God. The woman is going to play the part of my people. The reason she is going to run away and be unfaithful is that this is the way my people act in the spiritual marriage that I have established with them. You are going to be faithful because I am faithful to Israel, even though she dishonors my name. So that is the meaning of the marriage. See, Hosea's self-abnegation can only be understood in terms of a divine directive. This is why God told him that, and he, he followed through with that. He was obedient. Indeed, for all of those who are married, for those who desire to be married, for those who appreciate the value of faithfulness, constancy, loyalty, and stability, must agree that this is a heart calling. Yet the prophet's life is a most profound portrayal of the unfathomable depth of the love of God for his people. It has been said that Hosea's story is the second greatest story ever told. The first being the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. The great story of Hosea is a prefiguration of the greatest story of our Lord Jesus Christ. The prophet Hosea, the prophet, was obedient to God our Lord. He talked to wife, a wife of harlotry in the person of Goma, the daughter of Deplium. This is, uh, this is really, in some respect, uh, in every way, this is how God is seen where we came from. Um, whenever I see, sometimes I'm talking about a difficult situation of working with it, bad a group of people that don't seem to care very much, may even threaten you, etc. And uh, people say, why to go there? Why bother? Well, one of the reasons we bother is because of this kind of love that God showed for his people. So this is the kind of love that Jesus had for us, to leave the comfort of his throne, the glory, the honor, the majesty to come and duel amongst unfaithful people and bring them, win them yet to himself. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what drove me so much and it's driven me. And this is the kind of love that God shows for us. You, you need to think about this love. It's, uh, it's really mysterious. I, in reading this, I, I don't know if I understand it. And I'm not sure what this prophet did that I could easily do that. Uh, so I pray, continue to pray, God, for grace, that the level of obedience that I see here, uh, I'll be able to follow through with it. Now, the best verse, in terms of uh, uh, a literary summary, I think verse 2 will do it for us. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, uh, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. 
So what will be our commitment in uh, application? Uh, I'm not sure uh, what I can say in terms of commitment. I hope you can, you can better apply this text. Then I, I will give you some pointers, and hopefully you can, you can apply it uh, in your quiet time, sit and ponder it. And the question that came to mind is, uh, what story is God seeking to tell in your life? What, what symbolic witness of the, the mysterious person of God that you are uh, in the world? God may lay upon us, again, uh, another point, God may lay upon us a hard calling. He may call us to a life of suffering and hardship as a witness to his person, a witness to his own suffering and love. We, will we or are we responding like Hosea in obedience and submission to an indomitable commitment as Calvin has aptly, uh, with an indomitable commitment as Calvin has, uh, has aptly identified? So he, Calvin is saying uh, basically uh, the prophet was so committed that he, he would not be defeated in this. He would die trying. Remind me of the Japanese samurai warrior. There can be no, no pullback. You fight until death. Uh, in some respect, what Calvin is getting here when he talks about the indomitable spirit, that is the kind of thing he's talking about. There will be no retreat. Incredibly, there will be no retreat to witness to the mysterious and unfathomable depth of the love of God in Jesus Christ. So, um, uh, this is such a contrasting thought in the affluent society that we live in. And I don't think it's only the affluent society. I mean, this is message has been a challenge from the time it has been delivered uh, several thousands of years ago, even as it's a challenge now. Hosea learned obedience to the will of God through the things which he suffered. Are we willing to learn obedience to the will of God in our sufferings? How do we learn how to suffer well? Uh, many years ago, I think in the 90s or so, there was uh, pamphlets and books that were shared around on, on learning how to suffer well. And uh, uh, some, some of the people here that I know, and one person who has died, I remember uh, he was uh, sick and was uh, suffering greatly. And he talked to us before the sickness got worse. And uh, he mentioned reading that booklet and going through it about learning how to suffer well. Hosea's devotion to his wife speaks volumes about the depths uh, of his spirituality. So uh, we may look at the quality of our devotion to our spouse as a barometer, a measure of the extent of our progress in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This text of scripture would have us, as is another point, would have us know the depth of the love of God that would breach any schism to reach a sinful humanity. God loves us that much. So John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let us pray. Holy Father, uh, we uh, thank you so much for uh, the revelation of your will for us. We rejoice in that. 
Uh, we can only in many ways celebrate the joy of our salvation in you. We pray, O oh God, that what we've learned here today of uh, these two things, the unfathomable depth of your love and the, uh, the obedience that we see uh, Hosea, uh, your holy prophet, exhibits, that we might be able to practice that in our lives and the various callings that you've called us to, even right now in Indianapolis, in this congregation, all of the responsibilities that you've called us to meet, not only collectively, but individually. Hear now, O God, our prayers. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.